Happy 2020, Rail Splitters. This week on the Rail Splitter podcast, the hat is making an appearance again, and we are talking about books. Welcome to the Rail Splitter Podcast, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. I am your co-host, Mary, and again, happy 2020 to all of you. And joining me tonight is Rail Splitter Jeremy. Hello, everyone. And Rail Splitter Nick. What's up, everybody? Still, you know, tackling those big Lego sets that you got for Christmas or Hanukkah or, uh, you know, just in general. So enjoy our show. One of my uh, co-workers bought her husband the Millennium Falcon Lego set. No, oh, nice. I was jealous. Like the newer one? or They had, like, the, new, they had the newer one. I think the one from the movie Solo. Yeah. Getting that right? Yeah. It, it, uh, it, yeah, they had one for Solo, and then they had another one that just came out for the Rise of Skywalker. And then there's the $800 one that's uh, absolutely insane. Yeah, there there was one I asked for for Christmas like seven years ago, and my mom was like, you're in your 30s, I'm not buying you Lego. <laughs> Dude, mom putting the smack down. Yeah, she just basically like, you're not... And I'm like, but it's Lego, it's for any age, right? Is there any Lincoln Legos? Yeah, there's an Abraham Lincoln minifig, I have one. I do too, uh, actually. Yeah, he was in the Lego movie. Mm-hmm. The original? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's the yeah. New, that's the latest se- or not the latest series of figures, but I got mine around I don't know I think it was like May or something when they came out for the Lego Movie. No, I, I don't know. I've had mine for a while. Oh, okay, I got it for Father's Day a while ago. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah he's he's one of the master builders when they have the big master builder meeting in the beginning of the Lego Movie, the first one. Um, but he kind of he bails, oh. and it was you know yeah. Not the greatest uh, characterization of Abraham Lincoln, but he is. You can't get the Lego, and he's hold, holding a little, uh, um, little Gettysburg address. I think it was actually a very early this week in Lincoln. Uh, it was, yeah. Now yeah, that, yeah, it was, early. yeah. Actually, my the Lincoln figure I have, I got in May, and it was from like the latest series of minifigures, and he's holding an axe. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Well, that's definitely actually it might have been one of the, it's like it's our very first Instagram post on the on the Rail Splitter uh oh, it is too. Instagram. Yeah. The very first one. Speaking of which Rail Splitters, you can follow us on Instagram. And we are Rail Splitter Pod on there, right? Yep. Yeah. And our very first post was from June eighth, twenty seventeen. Wow. We're about to we're about ready to record our inaugural episode. It will be posted soon. With a little Abraham Lincoln Lego guy. Oh, and right now we are recording episode 113. Wow. Yep. <laughs> Dude, it's a lot. Into our third year. Yep. A lot of great knowledge and some dumb stuff along the way. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. I wouldn't call any of it dumb. <laughs> Uh, probably about 50% of what yeah, it's all good. Maybe it's all 60%. Good. It's all good. Um, so our episode this week is uh, kind of more 
well, hey, we're always casual, right? But uh, so we are going to start off with a news story. Um, and this one was one that Nick found for us. And it is about the hat. And if you've been listening to us, uh, I think we've been talking about the hat on and off for, I think, a couple years now, ever since the news broke about, uh, you know, the trouble that the, the found or the foundation was in and and all that that's to do with the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. Um, but this hat, just to kind of lay the groundwork uh, for our listeners, was um, thought to have been, it was from the Tapper Collection, thought to have been worn by Lincoln, but it's very, very disputed. And um, they might finally have laid it to rest, sort of. Um, but Nick did um, read an article about it, and uh, he is going to start off by telling us about that article. Yeah, like you said, I, I think this kind of puts it to rest unless something substantial comes out here. But uh, basically, the state uh, put together a 16-month study, and it was led by the Illinois state historian Samuel Wheeler. Um, and kind of, yeah, so basically this kind of, I came across this article on WBEZ, uh, which I think is like Chicago Public Media. Um, Dave McKinnon wrote the article up about and just kind of summarizes, spends a little time kind of give us a background on the hat again um, and kind of what he found in the study. Um, it ended up being about a 54-page report, according to the article. And kind of the quote here I wrote down to kind of start it out is, Wheeler said in the report, I believe the past can be instructive if we take the time to examine it and resolve never to repeat the same mistake. Um, so I'm definitely sure the Lincoln Museum does not want to go down this or, um, you know, the yeah everybody tied to it. Hopefully they learn from this. A little bit of background on the hat, though. Uh, the hat was believed. Basically, there was a hat that's been on display at the Lincoln Library in the past. I know we've talked about this. And, boys, you actually saw it, if I'm correct, right? Yep. So, um, and for a while, the way they displayed it and kind of most people thought it was a Pram Lincoln's hat. Um, but as we talked on this show, that has been disputed over and over and over again. Um, basically, um, it was believed to be in the possession of the Waller family. Um, and the husband was uh, Albert Waller. He was an Illinois state representative. Um, and he dies in 1958. And the daughter-in-law or basically sold it for a dollar um, to an antique store in 1956. Excuse me. Um, and then the story kind of takes off from there. So the story goes, though, basically that it was scrolling down here to the theories of where the hat came from. The one belief was that William Waller, so this would be a relative back in the day, traveled to Washington during the Civil War, met Lincoln, got the hat. Um, but as time has gone on, people realize that that probably was not the case at all. Um, instead, the story that kind of became to believe is that the hat um, was basically handed off during a 1858 debate between Lincoln and Stephen Douglas in Southern Illinois. Um, both of these stories do not have good concrete evidence to support either of them. So there's a question of stories behind the hat. So that's kind of where we're at with everything. Eventually, a guy by the name of James Hickey gets the hat um, and he basically buys the hat and he has it and basically well, 
Hickey himself has some questions drawn to him. So 1984, he has a job. He works for the government. Um, and he has basically, he's in control of some Lincoln memorabilia, memorabilia at the same time. Um, or he was in charge of state-owned Lincoln artifacts. At the same time, he, on the side, is acquiring his own personal collection. So he's kind of got his feet in both, you know, both buckets. And according to the report, Wheeler says this is something that would never happen today. So if you were, like, on a board, you know, buying stuff for the state, um, we wouldn't want you also buying stuff for your personal collection. Um, So... In 1988, Hickey's hat was appraised for $15,000. Two years later, Hickey sold that hat to Taper, um, which I believe it's Jake Taper. Am I correct on that? I think so, yes. Um, He ends up with the hat in 1990. And then Taper eventually will sell it to the Lincoln Foundation, the very same Lincoln Foundation he was actually on the board for. Um, and he ends up selling it for millions of dollars, and this is part of the taper collection, which they still owe money on um, up to this point, which they were trying to pay off. So, just real, real quick, I believe uh, you were uh, paying a little too close attention to the news, and you conflated Barry Taper with Jake Tapper. Oh. Jake Tapper, the Jake Thank Tapper's you. a CNN <laughs> anchor. Uh, Barry Taper. Thank is you. the Lincoln collector. So uh, an understandable mistake. I'm sure Jake Tapper is probably a Lincoln fan. Let's just assume that he is. Mm-hmm. But uh, the uh, Taper collection uh, was from a, actually from a couple, Louise and Barry Taper. So, uh, yeah, hey. not, not Jake. It's been a while since I screwed up something major. So Yeah, and pretty soon we'll be talking about the, uh, the Anderson Copper Union speech. That's, that's all. That's all the CNN. That's all, that's all I got. That's all I got for CNN puns. Sorry, I'm tappered out as far as CNN puns go. <laughs> Nicely done. I appreciate the correction. Um, uh, if only we could get Jam- James Earl Jones on here to say this is real Spitter podcast. <laughs> this, yeah. <laughs> I want Wolf Blitzer. Best name ever. That is a pretty good name. I had this kid that was in one of my classes last year, and he would blitz people and leave Wolf Blitzer on their background on their computers. Oh, wow. Wow, that's, cool. that's really clever, actually. Quite a fan of it. But uh, anyways. We've had our first derail for this episode, Real Splitters. First derail of the year, baby. First derail of 2020. Uh, so the taper collection um, was being sold to the Lincoln Foundation. Uh, the Lincoln Foundation, the state historian at this time was Thomas Schwartz, uh, who happened to be a longtime friend of Taper and Hickey's handpicked successor, who kind of took over for his job, kind of in charge of this stuff. Um, the report goes that Schwartz basically had assumed he got the hat, Link, that Hickey got the hat from Lincoln's great grandson during the trip to Vermont. So that was under the impression that he was. But then he saw Clara Waller's 1958 affidavit, which he signs, uh, talking about the hat's history. Um, and basically, reading the affidavit, you would come to the conclusion that it was circumstantial evidence. And Wheeler basically wrote in a report, instead of alerting the foundation that the most valuable item in the collection would require much more research, Dr. Schwartz dismissed his concerns and like Taper, Dr. Schwartz concluded the hasp must be a genuine Lincoln artifact because he believed Hickey to believe it to be so. 
So remember, Hickey's the guy that sold it to the ta- the Tapper, um, and and then the Tapper selling it to Lincoln Foundation. So it all kind of starts with Hickey saying so. And as we know, that's not good enough when you work for a museum, which I'm sure Mary you can add to if yeah. you want. Not to put you in yeah, car. no, um, you know you have to have what's what's called provenance, which you definitely need to know where the artifact is from. You've got to have evidence behind it. And I mean, I think more and more, like, I mean, at the time this was happening, the rules probably weren't as tight as what they are now because museums have learned in the U.S. and Canada and throughout the world that you can't just have that kind of like, well, this is how it happened. And also, if there's something like this going on where it's clear there's conflicts of interest it happening with this that that's where that would raise a red flag to a lot of museums that hey this is uh you know this is what's happening and in this case there's a foundation which is i think separate from the museum itself mm-hmm. so there's that um the, the museums i've worked in uh, they uh like it was the museum directly accepting the artifact and again you've got to have that provenance and yes one of the museums i worked and i wasn't working there at the time but i've mentioned it a couple times on the show they had a titanic exhibit come in told the artifacts were authentic and then they found out later that it was just a temporary exhibit thankfully but then found out later that the artifacts were not authentic yeah i think you bring up a good point too about the conflicts of interest you know Schwartz is kind of the, you know, supposed to be the expert in this, and he knows that, you know, the taper collection is being sold in Lincoln Foundation, which they are board members of, or one of them is a board member of. I mean, you think, especially when you have kind of the story come out where you don't have any evidence this time, I mean, he should have done his due diligence if he's doing it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. So it definitely brings up some question marks. Well, Um, I think, too, just the name Lincoln. Like, you want you want the hat to be his right because it's lincoln and i think the more famous the historical figure the more you're gonna want like the more likely that something like this is to happen but also you want it to be true you want that connection yeah i I, for sure especially i mean his his artifacts are you know other than like extremely rare and extremely old things from maybe george washington or something you know they're among the most valuable. There's more collectors probably of his stuff than anyone else. Um, when they was on display in the museum, I don't rem- remember the wording of the, you know, the label or the plaque or whatever, but I don't recall thinking as I was looking at it, that this was like, that they like did the may have, this may have been Lincoln's or this could have been Lincoln's like, and you do see that from time to time where, it is believed that this is Lincoln's or something like that. Um, you know, you've seen that from time to time, but I, I don't recall it being very clear. That didn't stick with me as much. Um, and one thing that they played up really big was the the two worn uh, finger um, indentations mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, there's You can see like an index finger and a middle finger where he tipped his cap. Uh, and they, you know, the claim, of course, was that Lincoln was did that exactly the same way every time and was very much um, chivalrous in his tipping of his hat and, uh, you know, was known to never forget 
to do that and did it very often. So I kind of like, you know, I don't know if the, the hat created the myth or the story created the myth about the hat, you know, or if neither one of them are the case, but, um, but it was kind of cool. And of course I was, this was before any of the, uh, coverage of it possibly not being Lincoln's came out. So like, you know, you're kind of standing in front of this thing and you see his, you know, which, what, what I believed anyway, to be things that his actually, his hands touched and, and wore out. It was really cool. Um, so now to find out that it likely wasn't his is, it's kind of a weird feeling because I still have, like, I still remember I had that emotional connection. Like, you know, I, I had, you know, I felt really cool and that feeling. So it's not like you can take that memory away. Um, so it's kind of a strange feeling. I don't think lying to people is appropriate. I don't think it's like, oh yeah, just lie to people. And if they think it's real, it's all in the eye of the beholder. That's not what I'm saying. But, but you know, I still do have that memory of thinking it was pretty darn cool. Um, and then there's also, and I think I mentioned this on the show a couple times before too, like how carried away can we really get about whether or not a hat is his? To me, it's, you know, there's a lot more um, historic significance into like, did he write this? Did he say this? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or like what may have happened if we found some new correspondence to maybe know what happened in a cabinet meeting or something. Um, to me, that's much more uh, relevant to understanding Lincoln or can be much more relevant than whether or not a certain object was his. Um, this one just happened to be such an iconic one other than the beard. It's the top hat, right? So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, your Lego figure we were talking about literally has the Lego hat. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. You know, that's like how it is like if you're dressing up as Lincoln, you got to have. You have to have the top hat. Yeah. Still and the top, beard. Yeah. And the suit. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, like it was fashionable for a long time for mm-hmm. wealthy Americans to wear hats like that. But he ended up with, you know, it's probably because he was tall and whatever else. But. Um, and I think he wore it maybe when it wasn't quite as fashionable. Um, but yeah, so the hat is a, you know, a unique, uniquely important artifact, I guess, more so than anything else. Um, I don't know if any of his boots are around or, uh, any of his like ties. I'm sure he's got, I'm sure there's a tie somewhere. I don't recall ever seeing boots that he had worn. Um, but like like his shaving mirror is at the museum. Mm-hmm. That's awesome because you can look at your own face in a mirror that Abraham Lincoln looked at his face in. So that that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, the fact that the hat's not his um, is interesting enough, I think, to have an episode on. Not just because of the hat itself, but there's so much drama around it you know, at the museum. And it's, you know, it's really, I mean, it, it reads almost like a novel where it's like this you know this artifact turn you know turns out to be fake and you know it's was moved to a different part of the country without permission and you know all kinds of crazy stuff i i completely agree with you and you raised a really good point jeremy about just you know his words are more like we we should be attaching more importance to what he wrote and did he write this there's a lot of um quotes that are misattributed to being lincoln but 
his words are why we study him, why we love him so much, um, why he's still an inspiration to many people, because his words are timeless, and they're still around today. And with the, you know, with the internet, um, it's becoming more easier to access those words and what he said and to study it. And like you said, you know, something, a new document coming about from a cabinet meeting and what revelation, like, you know, what kind of insight does that lead us into learning more about his presidency and how he was as a president. There's um, like, you raise a really good point with that. Like we're focusing on a hat that probably wasn't his when really, you know, the reason that we, we talk about him is because of what he spoke, what he did as a person. And we have that evidence. Like we, we know we have that. And I think that's what's important about him. To play devil's advocate here, though, this is a mat, you know, a hat that they footed multi-million dollars for, mm-hmm. and multi-million dollars that they still have to pay, multi-million dollars that could go towards finding more documents, um, you know, anything that jeopardizes, you know, the museum's credibility, jeopardizes the credibility of those other things, um, so, and, and it's unfortunate that a hat has caused all this. Mm-hmm. Because I agree with both of you, the hat is cool to see and look at, and is part of you know the Lincoln look, I guess. But it is not what makes Lincoln Lincoln. Mm-hmm. No, I and then, but uh, there was there has been a lot of drama, as Jeremy pointed out. Um, the first time it kind of came up in the public viewing is Chicago Sun Times, two thousand fourteen, wrote an article, and since that time, there's been efforts to authenticate the hat. Um, such as getting the hats secretly swabbed by the FBI, um, looking for DNA. Um, you know, historians from the Smithsonian Museums, the Chicago History Museums, um, have, you know, have come in, looked at the hat. Uh, all of those resulted in no positive results or, you know, no conclusive evidence. Um, so then it was in August 2018, the museum director, Alan Lowe, which I believe is gone now, mm-hmm. um, was basically put Wheeler to the test of conducting the study. So one of the things Wheeler did um, is he went and got the Wallers, because these are the Waller family who had it, um, and it was, um, and he basically got a collection of their writings uh, because Albert was a former state legislator. Um, Therefore, luckily, the archives are at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois, in the South. So he looks through all these documents, and um, quoting from it, there was not a single mention of the Lincoln hat in there. Uh, And the quote kind of goes, the inability to thus far find any documentation from William or Albert Waller that illustrates they believe the stove hat had once belonged to Lincoln is troubling. It goes on to say her decision to sell the stovetop hat to a local antique store for just one dollar is concerning. If the stovetop hat was indeed one of Albert Waller's prized possessions, it was tangibly linked, a tangible link connecting the Waller family to Abraham Lincoln. Why did Clara not give that hat to Albert's surviving son or his grandson who lived in Kansas? Several individuals could recall specific conversations they had with the uh, with the couple. Wheeler wrote, however, no one I spoke with recalled hearing anything from them about a stove pot, a stove pipe hat that once belonged to Abraham Lincoln. So he's looking through all the documentation there is, talking to people, and nobody or nothing is coming up with it. 
Then this is what I found kind of real weird in the article is during the course of his research, Willard received from Schwartz, the guy that was once in charge, you know, of these artifacts, two previously unknown letters written by Clara Waller, including one that alleged William Waller had been, held a position we would now call FBI. Um, and uh, a position we would call now FBI is a quote taken from the study. The post led Waller to Washington, D.C. to meet with Lincoln during the Civil War, where the two men traded hats after discovering they had the same hat size, she claimed. So, I don't know. Thoughts? It all seems pretty just, you know, the whole $1 thing. Like, why would you, if you knew that hat was Lincoln's, why would you be willing to sell it for a dollar? Maybe... You want some unknown person to get it and realize they have this treasure. Oh my god! <laughs> it just it it all seems very um, like shady. I think. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the other artifacts. Like, there's a very clear trail. Yeah. Like you know, we have you. They either got it from Lincoln Home or. That there's a sales record of who the item was sold to, and then you know they kind of tracked it down that way. And you know, two or three mm-hmm. steps later, all with proof of sale or something, they'll track things down that way. Uh, which uh, I think a handful of the stuff in Lincoln Home is that's kind of you know they they sold the furniture to someone and they were able to, to find some of the pieces. Yeah. Um, but the fact that this one is just so tenuous like the yeah. connections it, it, it's it's it just seems so unlikely i you know there's there's much more than a reasonable doubt in this particular case yeah there's yeah again that goes back to you know the provenance of the artifact like there, there's no trail and you know the museums that that i've worked in you know like to prove something was somebody's you've got to have that trail you've got to have that proof and this to me seems like it's not all there mm-hmm I like like the two letters that just randomly come up too. <laughs> That's so bizarre to yeah. me. Feels like a movie or something. Boys, do you have anything to add? No, yeah, I agree. It does. It feels like a like a premise for a lousy Dan Brown novel. <laughs> yeah, or like a sequel to like um, National Treasure. But yes. a, but a really shitty yeah, which, sequel. Which is kind of, yeah, which is <laughs> yeah, kind of already a, a horrible is this Dan Brown ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> National Treasure is one of my dad's favorite movies. <laughs> Dude, I I thought it was. I mean, I, I would, at he the time loves I thought it. it was all right. I never did see the sequel, but Nicolas Cage is an American icon, and I stand by that. Yeah, well, and then every time my dad watched National Treasure, because I've um, I'm trained as a museum conservator, he's like, "Would you ever do something like this? Do you know how to do it? Could you steal?" I'm like, "No." <laughs> that's awesome he asked me we were watching in the theater and he leaned over he's like you're going to school for this could you steal the declaration of independence and I'm like no <laughs> nobody could that's the no. point yeah dude uh I could see Nicolas Cage having some weird Lincoln artifact yeah something that isn't like no it's something like really strange like I don't even know what it would be. So if there's something auctioned off from Lincoln and it goes to a really high bidder who's anonymous, can we just assume it's Nicolas Cage then? Yeah, I don't see why we would. <laughs> there's no evidence that would disprove that it's him. <laughs> that is 
in that case, we could probably then we could probably turn around and sell it to the Lincoln Foundation for millions of dollars. Yes. So yeah, there you go. Oh, because okay. I'm sure he needs the money. <laughs> um, the museum came up with some talking points around 2013 about the hat. Um, kind of you know saying why they thought it was Lincoln's. Uh, one talking point was it's Lincoln size. Um, I, I found this just so bizarre. Uh, Wink. Uh, excuse me, Wheeler. Uh basically concluded that the museum or somebody they had the size wrong the state has long maintained lincoln wore a size seven and one eighth which it said matched the hat but wheeler found something else he said i used taylor's tape and tried to get in an accurate measurement of the hat he said i measured the hat as seven and one quarter meaning a much looser fit if it truly were lincoln's hat so the fact that they probably got the hat size wrong is mind-boggling to me yeah um so i don't know how close that stuff's measured like i don't know if you could speak more to that with your handling of some stuff i've never run into anything like that um in the museum field but just you know to me like that would have been one of the first things like okay well what was lincoln's hat size let's measure the hat and find out and then talking point number two is the kind of the theory that he always stored documents in the hat but uh, Wheeler, when looking at the hat, he could find no opening in the lining where one might place a document for safekeeping. Um, the story goes that it came from a Springfield maker. However, when he looked at it, he could find no evidence of a faded floral motif. Is that how you said it? Motif? Motif, yeah. It's kind of, it, it's yeah. like a maker's mark that yeah. I think he would find in like China or, or silverware. So, I mean, maybe it just got faded enough, but he couldn't find it. And then speaking back to the finger marks, which you brought up earlier, Jeremy, uh, Willer cast doubts on the claim um, as well, even hinting that the markings could have been faked. So the finger marks that were on the hat, what his quote is, what are the odds that every time the owner of a hat doffed it, his fingers prints would land on exactly the same place? Instead of two perfectly formed fingerprints, it would seem more logical for a large discolored or even worn spots appear on the right side of the brim. He goes on to say, if the fingerprints were not left there by the owner of the hat, it then becomes possible they were placed there. I, I hope that's not the case, that somebody tried to doctor it up. But so You'd be surprised I mean, what happens in the museum field. With, it's just crazy. With stuff like that. So basically the final verdict is he could not authenticate the hat. He requested more search. Uh, he said more research is abundantly warranted. His suggestion was to have costume experts specializing in 19th century hats assess uh, the discrepancies involving the size, the absence of document storage area, and the markings on the brim. Um, and then he goes on to say, no matter what the final determination proves to be on the stovetop hat, it is clear that no one at the museum conducted any research on the object before it was acquired in 2007 that right there seems crazy to me um and another thing he brings up which i think we've stressed is the multi-billion million dollar transaction between board members selling something to the very board that they're on it's just a conflict of interest um to me i have a feeling this will probably be the last that we'll hear about to have for a while unless a major breakthrough happens um 
it's kind of crazy to think. I kind of feel that a lot of the firings or the dismissals or the people resigning, I kind of feel that this might have been at the heart of a lot of that. Um, I hope none of them were scapegoated, but, you know, the more we read into this, it wouldn't shock me mm-hmm. um, to think that's the case. Um, I think there's a lot more behind the closed doors that we probably have no idea about. Um, I can only imagine what some of the talk has been for somebody who works at either the museum or the library. Um, but at the end of the day, it does not seem to be that Lincoln owned that hat. Any final thoughts you guys have? I would agree with you about that. Um, and I think it, you know, it, it's cases like this that you want something positive to come out of it. And hopefully it means that, you know, there's going to be a change to policy in museums that other museums will look to this and see, okay, this is, these are the steps we need to take when we're getting some kind of like, quote unquote, high profile artifact. And then this is what we need to have in place to make sure that um, we've got the trail that we know for sure that this is where this is from. And it's not just somebody saying, oh, this was owned by my grandfather who was given it by this person who got it from this person that there is, I I guess, a paper trail behind it as well. But yeah, just hopefully moving forward that policies can kind of be tightened up and there's not so much of the, the, there's a lot of conflict of interest going on in this case too, which is not good when it comes to museums. Like you don't want that kind of thing happening because then people are going to question you know more than just the hat like they're going to question other artifacts too which i don't want to see happen to the museum at all because this is the foundation it's not the museum itself it's the foundation and i think it's also important to keep in mind that this is separate from the museum itself too you know i think you bring up a good point about the credibility of these especially in this day and age where so many of our institutions have lost credibility one of the few ones that keep credibility with overwhelming like poll numbers I came across is our museums. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, and we need to keep that um, that way, especially since there's so few that people actually trust. Um, not saying that the poll numbers are accurate as far as the credibility of a lot of these institutions, but we just need to have that trust as much as possible this day and age, unfortunately. Jeremy, any thoughts? Final thoughts on it? No, no. I, uh, yeah, I think that it's a, it's an interesting story. I do think it matters uh, in and of itself, but also because of the drama surrounding it. Um, but I don't want to take away, you know. Please, I hope nobody misunderstands. Like the museum is still a magical place, and and I trust them. Uh, they missed this one um, for, you know, I think the lessons were certainly learned. Um, but it's you know they they still have the best Lincoln collection in the world and there's and it's still very impressive and they've got the best people are among the best. I mean, there's other museums obviously that also have very very strong Lincoln people too. But you know this the Lincoln Museum is um, is definitely a treasure that you know that that we have and are thankful for. Uh, but this particular the saga of the of the hat um, certainly is is worth talking about. Um, and, and I think that that you're going to see any any Lincoln artifact is going to be very much scrutinized now, and you can probably if it says it's Lincoln's from from this point forward, I think you can believe it. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. I think one of the big positives is they're definitely now going to cross their T's, dot their eyes like never before. Which I do believe, you know, this is the one 
bad case. Um, and, and I agree too. I mean, the Lincoln Museum um, and Library is great. Um, overall, the people are outstanding. So, um, and this, you know, it's out there. It's open. Hopefully, they use this. I think you could use this almost if they're them. Um, be a little bit of a crazy idea, but. No, I I think it's good that museums would utilize something like that and just to say, okay, here's the steps we've taken, you know, since then. But again, too, like, um, you know, it's a museum and then this is the foundation that took the hat. So they're, I think they're sort of separate entities, right? Um, But still, you know, the museum using that as an example and saying like, okay, this is what we've amended since this happened is really good, um, you know, for keeping the reputation up because the, like... The Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library Museum is one of my favorite museums. It's an amazing, like, magical place where you can be immersed in the world of Lincoln and you really get to know him better as a person when you're there. And um, they do really great things there. And it is an interesting story of an artifact. Like, how often do you come across these historical artifacts that, you know, where you're actually kind of interested? It's interesting to know how it all works. And they have a way to draw some attention to how the process should go, and they can actually educate more people on how it works and the importance of, you know, yeah. making sure that you have a trail and you have credit, you know, um, historical evidence back it up. So yeah, and that's I, something that needed in this day and age too. Exactly, I think it it, it makes uh, museums have to become museums and these foundations have to become more transparent to the public. Mm-hmm. Which is is a good thing because if you're transparent and um, you know you're letting people know, okay, this is the evidence we have, you're going to create that trust, and with that trust, you're going to probably draw in more visitors because of that. Agreed. Okay, so are we done discussing the hat then? I think we finally are done discussing the okay. hat. We've talked about it a couple of times. Yeah, um, I like it. I think it's interesting. It is. It's very interesting. And um, We should get a hat like it, but then put the Rail Splitter logo right in the middle. I agree. And the next time we meet up, we wear it everywhere we go. Yes, all three of us yeah, have to wear this hat. And this is why they called him the Rail Splitter, because he wore this actual hat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That well, has the rail splitter logo on it. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll wear yeah. the hat the and we'll carry around like those plastic Halloween axes. <laughs> we'll wear the hats and then we'll carry around those like, you know, those axes you can get at like Halloween. And I will be, good day. Good day, sir. <laughs> Make sure you good put day, your, your, yeah, on the exact same spot so you leave the fingerprints too. <laughs> and I'm going to put papers in there. We'll do a live a live show, and I'll take out of my notes. The, your notes my, will be. <laughs> we won't be able to use any Google Docs for no, the show. Have It'll to be, have to come out of our heads. Yep. Yeah. That. Uh, I like it. Yeah. And then I what like it will too. be really is Mary taking out her notes, and me and Jeremy being like, "Can we get yeah, those? Yeah, can we copy that? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Nick, you did. I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need to copy that top hat. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have enough room to store the notes in the top hat. You guys know how long-winded I am <laughs> with my notes. <laughs> anyway, we are moving on to um, our next segment of this episode, which is where we're going to be discussing books. We've done this for the ca- the past couple of years where we've talked about books we've read in the previous year and a couple that we want to read in the next year. Um, so for 2019, um, what are a couple books that, you read that uh, 
you like were your favorites who would like to start nick or jeremy uh well shit I nick talked mouth. first so nick starts <laughs> <laughs> i've been trying to read all the game of Th- i don't know all well, i do know why so i had some former students they have a podcast and they started where they were going to read the game of Thrones books because they were into the series and i was like well i never read them so i'm like you know what i'll support their podcast i'll start reading follow along with the chapters well needless to say i'm the only one still reading um <laughs> So it kind of fizzled out on their podcast. But so my last like two months, I've been deep into Game of Thrones, into the book. I've been kind of rewatching the show as we go through. Um, I don't know. Luckily, the books stop around. I think it's like season four or five of the show. Yeah. Which means I don't really have to watch the last season. Don't want um, like so. Mm. Um, so that's kind of what I've been diving into at this point. Um it's been kind of interesting, just kind of seeing the differences between it, kind of what George R. Martin's vision was, um, as opposed to where the show went, um, and it really makes me makes me enjoy Game of Thrones when I was happier with it. Um, those mm-hmm. first, you know, five seasons, which are really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, like the difference between the book and the movie, like a lot of times you like kind of hate one or the other, but I kind of like both. Like the stuff George R. R. Martin did that they did differently in the in the series, I understand. I'm behind it. So um if you're kinda into that genre, uh I, I would say do it. I know that's not a more recent book, um, uh, but that's kinda where I've been deep into kinda on my and it's kinda been a nice break to away from historical heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh- I've read all the books, too, and yeah. I really enjoyed them. I did not watch the very last episode of the TV show, and um, I'm just going to lay it all out here. Whenever somebody asks me, should I watch that TV show, like, from the beginning to the end, I tell them, no, don't bother. <laughs> it's really That's good. That's how upset I was with the ending. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. I agree. that it, it, I agree the ending was less than satisfying, but... Um, I I really enjoyed that show many 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 different times. So, um, I uh, looking back over my list real quick. I just w- want to mention too that my we do have try or at least try, and we're gonna. It's one of my resolutions is to be a little bit more prolific with our social media presence for the show. Um, but outside of that, my favorite social media site, or actually including all of those, my favorite social media site is Goodreads. I don't know if any. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if many of our listeners use it, um, I've got to get back on I really, there. I really, really, really like, I don't know why. Um, I don't even really interact with other people on it. Um, but it's, um, a good way to find books and it's a good mm-hmm. way to keep track of what you've read. Um, you know, it's, it's, I like it a lot. So, um, I think you can just probably find me by my name on there, but, um, looking over my, Goodreads because that's a good that's basically my reading log. Um, I didn't read. I kind of was similar to Nick a little bit. Like I didn't read any books uh, specifically on Lincoln or the Civil War last year, probably for the first time ever, uh, or certainly in the last, geez, I don't know, ten or twelve years. Um, and of course, the reason you know I just with writing my dissertation this year, I, I read a whole lot of articles that were. Um, you know, from academic journals and stuff like that. So I really had very little desire to read a whole lot of stuff that was super deep into history and, and, and in the nonfiction world. So, uh, but somehow I did manage to read 50 books last year. 
Um, I say that with an asterisk because I'm a huge fan of audiobooks, and I count that as reading them. They still count. And I know. I think I mentioned this. Yeah. What's that? No. They count. count. They count. Don't count. listen to Nick. <laughs> Two out of three. Uh, I think I mentioned that, yeah. Two out of three real splitters I, I really say they care. count. That means yeah, they count. I count it. Yeah, I count it for myself. I, you know, it's it, to me, it's much better than saying like, "Oh, a, a nice lady read it to me in my headphones." Like, um, and I the and I think I mentioned this on the show before, but there's brain research that shows like your brain activity is the same whether you're listening to an audiobook or reading. But anyway, um, I, I I it's my audio is outpaces my actual reading a, a little bit just because of time exercising and driving um but i do also read a lot so um i finished 50 books last year um and I, my goal is 52 this year just because why not um a book a week but uh looking through my list for last year as far as nonfiction goes or as far as stuff that listeners of the show might be into into um two that i read that stood out um were actually my two longest reads of the year uh these truths uh which is a single volume history of the united states so it goes from um you know, pre-colonial stuff with indigenous people all the way up through the, through the present. Um, very, very fresh take on history. It's, it's, you know, obviously nothing's new in it, but yet the narrative and the point of views are unique, very well written. Um, very, very highly suggest if you're looking for a, a one volume history of the United States, that would be the one I would suggest. Um, I think it's, you know, I, I maybe would call it, um, like this generation's people's history of the United States. I don't even know if that's a fair comparison, but it, it reads similarly and it's kind of got, it kind of has um, sometimes a similar angle on things. I think there's a lot more um, of a feminist angle in this, in this work. And it's a little bit more up to date with research and stuff, obviously, because uh, people's history was written quite a number of years ago now, but these truths, um, which by the way, great title too. Um, taken from uh, the declaration and these truths to be self-evident um right taken from taken from the hamilton musical i think or the declaration one of those two um and then the other one that ties into civil war slash lincoln is frederick Douglass, prophet of freedom uh excellent 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 biography of frederick Douglass. um very very deeply researched uh david blight was the was the writer um it's pretty hefty it's you know for um, for someone whose youth has very, very little documentation because he was born enslaved, um, David Blight does a really good job of, of finding that and using, obviously, Frederick Douglass's autobiography is an extremely valuable source in any sort of Frederick Douglass research, but he's, he uses that and so, so, so much more um, and really, really goes takes a deep dive into a very fascinating life, so... Um, that is, that was, that was a really, really good read, um, as well. Uh, but at that one takes some dedication cause it's, it's pretty hefty. Um, other than that, I, uh, I read a whole bunch of genres, a whole bunch of stuff from young adult stuff to suspense and, um, mystery type stuff, thrillers, I guess you could call them to, um, a couple of history books on more contemporary stuff. Um, Ibram Kendi, who we had on the show a long, long time ago, wrote a book this year called How to Be, Ant- How to Be an Anti-Racist, which that was a extremely important book, I think, and a very powerful book and, um, well, had a huge impact on me. Um, I just read another nonfiction book called uh, The Five, 
the a true story uh, well, five the untold lives of the women killed by Jack the Ripper, which was really uh, if, if you're looking for interesting ways to for historic perspective, um, they, um, the the author's point is that we every you know kind of like everybody knows the names of people who do mass shootings and mass murderers and serial killers and no one knows their victims' names. Uh, so she kind of tells many biographies of the five women uh, who were the victims of Jack the Ripper and does it in a way that exposes a lot of things about Victorian England, um, talks a lot about how people interpret history, um, especially when it comes to women and over-sexualizing them and, you know, kind of vilifying them if they're sex workers or, um, or thought to be sex workers that they, they just kind of are almost written off. Um, so her, her point point of view on that was really interesting. Um, not only that not all five of the women were sex workers, but um, the, the ones that were, I think it tells more about the state of poverty in Whitechapel, London in the 1880s than it does about anybody's moral character of any kind. So um, that was a very good nonfiction book as well. If you're looking for something at least it's 19th century stuff. Um, but yeah, I didn't read any Lincoln this year um, or Civil War specific books other than the Frederick Douglass biography. But uh, I did jump up, jump around to a bunch of different genres. Uh, so if you want uh, suggestions on a lot of different things, you can check out my Goodreads page or, or reach out to me on social media. Um, and if you want any um, recommendations for some scholarly articles on culturally responsive pedagogy, uh, maybe wait a little bit and I'll be ready to talk about it. <laughs> Because I've been drowning in it for three years. No, I, I talk about that obviously anytime as well. So. Well, that's awesome because I think like our listeners have a lot of different interests beyond just like Lincoln and the Civil War. So I think it's good that you both mentioned something that isn't Lincoln and the Civil War because all my reading this year was Lincoln or the Civil War. <laughs> Which and I'm of course it was. Yes, I'm a really slow reader too. So um, I. <laughs> I didn't track on Goodreads and I need to get back on there and, and track my books on there. But um, a lot of my reading focused on uh, battles, mainly Gettysburg and Chickamauga. Uh, my favorite book overall was Noah Andre Trudeau's uh, Gettysburg, A Testing of Courage, which is um, a really well-written narrative about the Battle of Gettysburg where he pulls in, you know, what the soldiers were writing about it in their letters and um, he just weaves this story from the days, you know, leading up to the battle. And then the battle itself, I mean, is obviously the main focal point. But then, you know, the aftermath of it, too. And my understanding of the battle, um, and I read it, I finished it a couple months before we did our Gettysburg episodes. Um, my understanding of the battle after that was just, I felt like I knew it more. And um, my recall of it is a lot better since since I read his book. Um, Trudeau is a wonderful Civil War historian, and I encourage all of our listeners to, um, you know, look at his other books that he's written. He wrote one. His most recent one was called 16 Days, which um, was about Abraham Lincoln's time that he spent with General Grant um, at the end of the Civil War um, at City Point. And it is a really, really good book. He uh he sheds some new light on some, uh, you know, what Lincoln did there and what some of the things that we believe to be true might actually be myths. And it's a really, really good book. It's a shorter book, 
but it's it's really worth checking out. Um, my second favorite book that I read, and this will not surprise anybody if you follow me on social media, you probably can guess what I'm going to mention, The Smoke at Dawn by Jeff Shara. Um, the audiobook. I, uh, this is a little See? bit. Yeah, Nothing audiobook. I have listened to it. I'm on my fifth time listening to it. That's how much I enjoyed it. something a little wrong with that. <laughs> no, there's not. <laughs> Five times. You Five. pretty much recite it to yourself soon. I Don't can need the tape. Yep. No, but that's how much like that's how much I enjoyed it, and it's one of those things that I have on when I'm doing something like, you know, if I'm what like if I'm driving somewhere because I do take frequent trips that are they're they're very long, and I'm often by myself, so I put that on and I can just I can listen to it. Um, how many times and, has Jer heard it? Is he up to three times yet? Never. Oh, it's only when you're solo. Yeah, only when I'm solo. Okay. Um, okay. And I, you know, I have a bit of a commute to work. It's only about 20 minutes or so. Um, but, you know, I go out for walks at work, too. I'll listen to it there. And sometimes when, like, I work in a library, so I'm shelving books. I'll sometimes listen while I'm shelving books, too. So just. Yeah, there's a, there's, if you ever want to put in perspective how much time people spend in cars, like, I never really realized it because I have a very similar commute. It's about 15, 20 minutes. I'm like, man, like, how did I read two hours of an audiobook or listen to two hours of an audiobook? And all I did was go to and from work for like three or four days. So, like, yeah, we spend a lot of time in cars. Yeah, yeah it, it adds up after a while. And um, Jeff Shara's books are excellent, but his Western theater uh, quadrology, I hope I'm getting that that right, is <laughs> it's it's my favorite. It starts with Shiloh and ends with um, the March to the Sea and the end of the Civil War, which Lincoln makes an appearance in that last book, and Shara writes him so well. Um, I really um, enjoyed reading Lincoln in, and, and in I that book. And I can attest to that. Those are good books. You ever yeah. read the one, the Mexican-American War one you did? I haven't yet, but I want to. Oh, that one I really enjoyed because you're kind of getting like uh, basically but, saw the guys when they're younger. Yeah. I mean, you got like all the – you know main guys down there it's a good one if you like those other ones mary you should definitely read it yeah i i want to see if there's audiobooks for those ones but i mean i will re- i mean i own copies of the books too as well um and then i also read a lot about the battles for chattanooga and chickamauga because mm-hmm. we did the episodes um but the two that stand out for me are ones written by uh david powell um and he wrote for the emerging civil war series which I'm sure our listeners, some of them will will be familiar with those, but they're just, they're shorter books. So, I mean, you can knock them off in a day or two. If you're like me and a slow reader, it'll probably take you two or three days. Um, but you can take these these books to battlefields with you and they have they often have driving tours in them. So they're kind of a companion as you're walking around the battlefield. Um, but his two books about the battles for Chattanooga are really good. And then, of course, for um, Rail Spitter Book Club, we read Lincoln's Greatest Speech by Ronald C. White, which overall I enjoyed other than Chapter 4. Yeah. <laughs> you remember Chapter 4? I'm pretty sure it was Chapter 4. Yeah, I kind of, yeah. I yeah. did not say a lot of flattering things about that chat. No, no. But overall, I mean, Ronald C. White, this was one of his earlier books, so I don't think he was quite where he was with um, American Ulysses and A. Lincoln. But nonetheless, it was still a wonderful book, really insightful information about Lincoln's uh, second inaugural, which 
I mean, for me is tied for tied with the Gettysburg Address is what Lincoln's greatest speech was. It's hard for me to to pick between either of those. Um, but anyway, so those were my books for 2019. So really quick, what is one book you two want to read for 2020? I guess I go since I went first. Uh, one book, huh? I, and I think you saw this tweet too, but I've also heard this author speak on um, a podcast I was listening to. Um, and it's called The Rising the White Flag. Um how Surrender Defined the American Civil War. So it's getting quite a bit of recognition out there from Civil War historians. Um, kind of a unique angle. You know, anything that you can find, any type of book that has unique angle that we haven't seen or thought about dealing with the Civil War, Lincoln always kind of perks my interest, especially since it's so hard to do. Um, and, you know, especially in the military, you know, where the thought of surrendering is like the ultimate no-no. Sometimes I think some people think. Um, so I'm really interested to kind of read uh, read that. So that's on that's on the list. Um, I'm intrigued by it. I think it's an interesting concept. Uh, I heard the author speak on a podcast. Um, he sounded great. The author being uh, David, I don't know, Silkenant. Silkenant. If I said that wrong, which I did. We will tweet it out. <laughs> We'll put it but, on social uh, media. But yeah, looking into that. Uh, I got just real quick, too, just because there are, you know, I kind of noticed I hadn't read a whole lot of Civil War stuff. So um, they have not yet come out. I was just kind of looking for like anticipated uh, books for history, Civil War, that kind of thing. Uh, the first one is Stoney, The Road, Reconstruction, White Supremacy, and the Rise of Jim Crow by uh, Henry Louis Gates. Uh, Henry Louis Gates, I'm, I'm sure if you saw him, you would recognize him as somebody you've probably seen as a panelist on various shows. He's a pretty well known historian. Um, but I like the. Uh, I just feel I need to kind of brush up on my history of connecting the dots from uh, reconstruction, specifically reconstruction to the, to the present, um, especially with regard to uh, race and racism. So I'm kind of interested to see how the aftermath of the civil war, like kind of how he, uh, how he connects those dots. Cause I think that certainly in younger people, um, that era of civil rights and, and the struggle for civil rights uh, is often overlooked. It's kind of like civil war reconstruction, Martin Luther King, you know, and there's just so, so much that happened in between those. So I'm looking forward to that read. Uh, and then there's another one coming out um, by a historian named Adam Dombey called the Fa- the false cause fraud fabrication and white supremacy and Confederate memory. Um, and this is specifically, I think in response to the Confederate monument, um, I don't want to say debate, whatever the, the issues around that with um, what what the what the, the Confederacy and the, that whole claim to as an identity and a heritage and all that kind of stuff. And um, you know, of course, I'm drawn in by the title. I'm not going to lie; the false cause um, kind of um, double doubling down, I guess, on the lost cause um, or, or taking not doubling down, but the opposite of that. <laughs> um, kind of flipping it i guess um so i'm interested in that because i also i feel i need to kind of brush up on that area of um history as well just to kind of um get a get more perspective on um that legacy that the confederacy has so he's a historian i believe at the college or uh, uh university of charleston is it charleston your college charleston whatever at charleston west virginia so um i'm looking forward to that one i might have to add the, that one to my reading list too 
I'll let you know how it goes. I, don't, I think it comes out in like March, February, or March. Mm-hmm. So my book that I picked for 2020, they're they're older, but they've been sitting on my shelves for a while. Uh, the first one, just because it is his 200th birthday this year, my favorite general turns 200 on February the 8th. And yes, I will be at his birthday party in Lancaster, Ohio on February the 8th. That should be pretty awesome. Had my tickets for a few months now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was one of the first ones to get tickets. <laughs> Are you the only one? <laughs> Just kidding. No, I know ah. other, a couple other. Uh, I know a couple other people going. You're not people. apparently. <laughs> Where is it? Where is it? And when is it? Lancaster, Ohio, February the eighth. Like I'm intrigued to go now and to crash it with my. Uh, that's coming up. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's uh, less than a month away. Um, but anyway, so uh, one that has been sitting on my bookshelf for a while. It's one that I often get asked, "Hey, have you read this?" Um, it is Southern Storm by Noah Andre Trudeau. And I've used it for like just research. If I've been doing some tweets about the March to the Sea or want to look something up, I've, you know, flipped through it and read certain parts of it, but I haven't read it in its entirety. And I thought it's time to finally read it because I've heard really good things about it. And uh, just given how much I enjoyed Gettysburg Attesting a Courage. And that this book seems to be written in the same way that he's using, you know, the soldiers' accounts to tell the narrative and the story of what happened. So that is, um, once I finish, I'm reading a book about Vicksburg right now. Once I finish that, I'm going to get on to Southern Storm. And then that will be followed up by um, a book by James M. McPherson, a very prominent Civil War historian. Um, this one's called Tried by War, Lincoln as Commander-in-Chief. Which, just because um, on the podcast we do talk about the Civil War, cover the battles, um, I wanted to read a book that talks about Lincoln as the commander-in-chief, you know, and how he dealt with his generals and all that. And I thought that was a good place to start, um, as opposed to Stephen Stephen Sears' Lincoln's Lieutenants, the High Command of the Army of the Potomac, which, if any of you have seen that book, it's 700 pages. Yeah, I uh, I did see that Lincoln, the one you mentioned before that the um, the Lincoln as commander in chief. Yeah, no, that yeah, the Lincoln as commander in chief. That, yeah. that looks uh, looks very uh, interesting. I like the angle of as commander in chief. You mm-hmm. know, kind of because I think that's a role. Well, obviously with this whole Iran situation, I think that's a role that um, is is evolved over history, and you know, never really has had a real clear definition of what exactly the commander in chief mm-hmm. is, especially, you know, um, going from asking for declarations of war to apparently that not being a thing anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that'll be, that should provide some perspective on that. Yeah. So those, and I am going, because I've mentioned them on this podcast, I am going to, those are my next two books that I'm going to read. They're, they're getting read this year. All right. All right. So I feel like I have to be accountable now in case somebody from the podcast <laughs> says, hey, did you finally read that? And I want to be like, no, no, in. I didn't. I, we're going to check in weekly with you. Okay. What page yeah. are you on? Yeah, you know, I'm still, I'm two thirds of the way through uh, the, the Vicksburg book. So uh, give me another month before I start Southern Storm. <laughs> Will do. All right. So we are moving on to our final segments of the show which are of the people by the people where we pick a social media post that has sparked our interest, made us laugh or just made us, you know, feel whatever happy. I have one here. Okay. The rail splitter group though. 
Yeah, I have a couple as well. First off, I think, I don't know, Nick and I probably both were going to mention it, but uh, our Rail Splitter Mary was on the Rogue Historian, the most recent episode. I believe it's the most recent episode. So um, I guess that's a social media post, kind of. So, mm-hmm. But it was, yeah, I really enjoyed the enjoyed you on that show and enjoyed the show. And, Thank um, you. So I would encourage all of our listeners to, to check that episode out. It was It was very good. Thank you. Yes, nicely done. Thank you. Great job. You're you are the star of the Rail Splitter Pod. <laughs> no. I can't do this though, you guys. Hey, that's All right. and you're then the I, one who's gotta go on the shows and do the time, so it's easy no. for us. <laughs> uh real quick, I I I had one. Uh Ben Holmes was kind enough to post. And the reason I kind of put this on here is just because I, I kinda got a chuckle that uh, I know Tuesday what you're was Yeah, Tuesday was Nick's favorite president's birthday, Millard Fillmore's birthday. And I saw so Ben, which was I thought super clever. He posted a, a cartoon kind of thing of Miller Fillmore, which was a nice little dig at Nick. Um, and it, he put HBD Happy Birthday MF. And like when I first saw that, I'm like, yeah, you're calling him a mother too, you know? I'm like, yeah, you're on board. And then I'm like, <laughs> like like literally a day and a half later, like it was so much longer. I'm like, wait a minute, MF probably meant millard fillmore that's what i thought too i was like oh yeah you're calling oh yeah that's what i I, and i'm like oh that's awesome you know whatever and then i'm like it took me an embarrassingly long amount of time to realize like oh he was probably just saying millard fillmore (laughs) instead of using a pejorative uh that is you know quite powerful um either way whether he meant either one or both i think they all apply i'm sure nick would agree uh, but anyway, Miller Fillmore did have a birthday this week. I'm going to piggyback off that because if you go to the comments section, there's one comment from Michael Egan, and he goes, F, M, F. Oh, nice. <laughs> so we don't quite get the mother effort that you yeah. thought originally, but we do That's get amazing. the F, Miller Fillmore. So yes. <laughs> that made me laugh and, uh, and you know, rightfully so. Maybe Ben Holmes did meet. Happy birthday, MF. You should let us know, though. Yes, Ben, <laughs> but, please let us know what you meant by that. Or, or not. Or is this one of these, these mysteries Ooh, that, that interpretation? Cryptic. You know, it's you know like what? whatever Finn was going to say to Ray. We'll, we'll never know. No. I, I don't like that in Star Wars, by the way. But I do like leaving this open-ended, though, with the Fillmore. So. Okay, so um, mine is from Eric Lee, who he's a very active poster in our group. Um, and it's actually the one I had picked was the same one that, that Jeremy had the Millard Fillmore one, <laughs> Ben Holmes is post. Um, but I had a backup. So, um, Eric Lee posted today that, uh, this has been on loan for quite some time, but apparently the family has officially donated this to the, uh, to the presidential library and museum. And it is Abraham Lincoln's grandfather's, I think it's his compass and sundial that have been donated um by the donor was william clary jr and it's been officially donated to the abraham lincoln presidential library and museum sweet but is it really his no i'm kidding i know yeah that's what i was like oh after what we just discussed but no i think uh pretty sure <laughs> yeah i think so too they better be that's for sure yeah. but yes eric thank you for sharing that and so do we have a this week in lincoln Actually, I uh, actually I do. Go for it. It's your socks. 
Oh yeah, drinking, drinking Lincoln. Oh yeah, they are. I was just looking at them. There's my socks. Yep. Yes, for the holidays, my mother-in-law, or I guess my mother and father-in-law, got me um, socks that say "Drinking Lincoln," and they have our our uh, Abraham Lincoln with sunglasses on, holding a beer. So I have not yet worn the socks, but they're awesome, and I will, and I like them a lot. So, yeah, drinking Lincoln socks, best gift ever. Awesome. Is that the only Lincoln gift you got? Um, at the risk of offending family who are listening, I think so. I think so, yeah. There might Mary? be a small thing here or there, but I think so. Yeah. Mary, you get anything, Lincoln? Oh, no. I don't think I did either. I didn't. I can't think what I got anymore. Neither can We're I. We're spoiled, man. Tough I'm drawing a problems. blank. The day yeah, was a I blur. So wonderful gifts. I don't even remember what they were. So, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. If you got me something, Lincoln, and I didn't mention it, I apologize. I am really grateful. Yeah, I'm sorry. My parents don't listen to this, so they're not going to know. But no, I didn't get <laughs> got anything, Lincoln. I got to get that Lincoln Lego. That's why I decided. There you go. Put the minifig on your list. Yep. If it's still available, I think it was a few sets ago. Damn it. Yep. Out to eBay, that son of a gun. Yeah, and I'm not selling it to you. I'm sorry. By the way, and this is we're off the weeds again here, but by the way, like that Funko Pop came out. I'm like, oh, I'll get that. I'm going to get it eventually. And I just kind of never got around to it. And in like about a month ago, I'm like, oh, I should probably buy that because I haven't gotten it yet. Uh, Nope. They're gone. And they're super expensive now. Guess who's sitting on my desk at work right now? Well, don't look them up on eBay because you might be tempted to sell it. Because I'm like, oh, I guess I'll just have to buy it. I'm like, holy cow! Like they're they were Target only, and they sold quickly, wow. and now they you can't get them. So it's my own fault. I should have bought it when they came out. But oh, he yeah, he, he's on my desk along with uh, Lincoln. Lincoln Funko's on my desk along with uh, Kylo Ren. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> like the same person, right? Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Not really. <laughs> Um, anyway, I do you guys have any parting it's thoughts quite, at all? It's not quite as expensive as I thought. Maybe it was just around the holidays it got out. But, um, yeah, they're like $25 wow. or so. Wow. Yeah, I think they're so usually about lot, 10 or yeah. 15 Yeah. That's more than I spent. It's quite a I'll bit. tell you that. Yeah. Mine was given to me as a gift, so. Nice. Yeah. All right. Anyway, any parting thoughts? Good oh, happy back. new year, everybody. Happy New Year. Any parting thoughts, Nick? Rock on. All right. So that is our first episode of 2020. Uh, So keep walking the world with malice toward none and with charity for all. And we will see you all again very soon.